Hey, Jason Rice here with Lot Party. Again, what Lot Party is all about is uh, trying to stir things up on your virtual lot, lot like you do a Lot Party on your physical lot, moving things around to freshen things up. And this is our second episode of our interview with Tommy Gibbs, a used car trainer at uh, TommyGibbsTraining.com. Check that out. But also check out last week's show before you watch this episode or go ahead and watch this episode and catch up on what we talked about last week because it kind of integrates with each other here. So enjoy this episode. Again, our second episode with Tommy Gibbs. Check out last Last week, if you missed it, check out every Monday. We have new episodes of Lot Party Show. You can also get it on iTunes. Uh, you can get all of our Lot Party shows. Just go to uh, iTunes, look for Lot Party. All of our quick tips are there, the podcasts and everything, any show and, and quick tips are there. You can check out our YouTube channel, Lot Pop, and it has all of our shows and quick tips on there also. Or, um, again, tune in every Monday for new episodes on Autotainment Network. Enjoy the second episode and see you next week. All right, and so, you know, with that, um, I do have, with the one price, you know, there's always that strategy out there. I think some of the hesitancies, I've had dealers that were 100% one price, and what I mean by that, this is the price and this is your trade, that's it. I've seen dealers that say this is the price and they wiggle on trade, Um, you know, or it's a little bit of giving a take on some of it, or if they're about ready to drop the price, you know, they would let a customer walk and then a day later drop the price and try to call them back, you know, and so those are those struggles. Um, as you worked with, I'm sure you worked with plenty of one price, where do you think that line should be drawn? Um, 100%, well, maybe wiggle room on trade, or if you're going to drop the price in a day, go ahead and drop it now and get rid of it. What, what's, what's the mindset on that? I guess it depends on the dealer's mindset, but, you know, the, the, bigger, the biggest problem is it's a, change in culture and it's a very difficult thing that you can say we want to become a one price dealer and you'll get managers oftentimes who are shaking their heads yes i'm all on board and the dealer spends a bunch of money to come in and have someone install a one price concept and um everybody's saying yes but in the in the real bottom line is someone's sabotaging it on the back side so i think that the, the biggest challenge is figuring out how to change that culture and it's painful for dealers to do um, I have a good dealer friend of mine, he's a, he's a great dealer, and he made that switch a number of years ago, and for the first year as he was going through it, he said it was the most painful and expensive thing he's ever done in his life. But now he says he would never go back to doing the business any other way. Yeah. So I think you'll find some dealers that can say, okay, we're going to kind of go about it halfway, we're going to negotiate the trade, and we're not going to give anything up on the car. Maybe that will work for them, and, but it's an, either, either way you do it or however you do it, it's a matter of everybody getting on board, and that's a tough change sure. for existing personnel to deal with. you got folks who've been working for you 10, 15, 20 years, either in managers or salespeople. It's just a difficult switch for them to do, and it's, it's not easy, and it's a, it's a major cultural shift that dealers struggle with every day. Well, let's just talk about cultural shift then, because that leads right into this and the life cycle. You're always big on life cycle, getting the cars turned around through service and everything else. And to get that, that buy-in on that, you know, again, I, I, you know, I deal with man- sales managers all daily, and they'll say, well, you know, my body shop guy or my, my shop guy and my parts guy, you know, and they struggle with everybody getting on board with this. Um, and I know there's parts holds, and I know there's transportation issues, and I know those things happen, but do you think most of that, the dealers that really aren't successful, that do take 10 to 15 days to get a t- car turned around. Do you think most of that's excuses or is it some of reality? And, and I guess when you work with these stores, what's the best way to attack that, both culturally and then, you know, some of these internal uh, turnaround prop time problems, you know, like, again, parts, service, things like that? Um, 
You know, um, one of the great things about being a, a dealer principal and owning your own dealership and I, I recognize the fact that you have a lot of different uh, combinations out there. You have a guy who owns his own store or he or she owns their own store and that's the only store they have. And you have a guy or gal that, that owns 10 stores, whatever it may be, and they have general managers and then they're, they're part investors and that sort of thing. But, but I think that um, one of the things I've always loved about being a dealer principal is you have the power. You have the power to fix anything that you want to fix. So if the dealer wants to get everybody on board and the dealer has the, I guess, the intestinal fortitude to follow through and make sure it happens and the dealer isn't worrying about um, that they're going to lose someone who's been with them 25 years, they probably can make it work. Yeah. We don't want to ever lose a 25-year employee. But sometimes you got to shake the whole place up in order to make the changes you need to make. Change is not easy. Yep. Here's, here's, a, here's a fact. Whatever happened yesterday, I call this legacy thinking, you know, whatever we've done in the past, that may not continue to carry us but so far. So at some point we got to be willing to make those changes, and oftentimes we don't make those changes and take the approach we should take until it becomes so painful that we have to, and that's when we do it. And then by that time it will be too late for some people. I'd like to see more people. People starting to get ahead of the curve and be willing to tackle those things you just mentioned, be it the parts department, be it the service department. And the type of training I do when I do training, I don't ever train just use car manager. I think that's, mm -hmm. that's a mistake. I, I train all the members of the management team, including the service manager, the parts manager, the controller, F&I, BDC. The point here is that the more people that the dealer, that leadership can involve in, in this sort of thing and get them on the same page, the better. It's not, and even getting everybody on the same page doesn't last forever. About every 90 days or so, you got to kick it back in the butt and get it going again because you can always have the evaporation factor. Yeah. So I don't know if I answered your question or not. No, it does because I, I, I think, you know, I hear excuses all the time when we talk about it with my dealers. Um, and I'd say excuses as much as, like you said, somebody making the commitment to make everybody else accountable. You know, so until then, it's kind of, well, it's this, it's that. And until somebody finally draws that line and says, well, th that's it. And I think that's the biggest leap from going to a three to five or five to seven day turnaround time, you know, taking that 10 to 15 guy, a gal down to three to five days is that leap of drawing that fine line and, and no more excuses. Again, we're going to have reasons of why a car might take longer, but there's no excuses why they shouldn't if we're, if everybody's yeah. accountable. And I think oftentimes we're talking about the fixed operations of people in the back. They, they kind of sort of know or understand why we have this sense of um, urgency to try to get these vehicles through. But I, they sort of know, but I don't know that they really know and appreciate what's really going on. I don't think they understand that every day that car sets is depreciating and every day it sets our potential make gross profit goes down. And, you know, they, and in their defense, they're dealing with the – uh, customer pay issues, the retail customer in their shop, and they're trying to get those out of the way. So, you know, they have some things that they're wrestling with back then, but I'm not sure that they really understand why we put it, have such a push on to try to get the cars through the system and get them online. And again, the more education we can give them, the more we can coach them and let them understand what the real big picture is all about, the better the odds of, of us being um, more successful than we might be in the, in the other way. Well, Dale Pollack of Viato bought, uh, wrote the books of Velocity. I think there's three of them. I think one of the best stores I worked with, they actually had the whole team read that, even salespeople, to the parts oh, and to sure. everybody. So they knew. Like you said, they, they, get, yeah. they finally get everybody's on the same page. Now, we, we talked about pay plan. Have you seen uh, dealers 
have the people in the back have some skin in the game in their pay plan on turnaround times and stuff. And does that help? Or is that something you go, you know what, some dealers say that's what I pay them for. They, you know, I shouldn't have to pay them more for that. Or is that a concept that you see a lot of dealers doing is, you know, maybe doing some spiffs or bonuses or things on turnaround time on the back end? I don't see much of that. I know as a dealer principal all those years, I've tried a couple of those sort of things. I try to tie the parts and service and the sales departments together. Yeah. And I never had a lot of success with it personally, but it makes a lot of sense to try to do it. I'm not sure of the right formula, and I'm not, I'm not hearing of anybody really going after it that way. Um, sometimes pay plans work to your detriment in one way or another. I mean, you know, there's that saying you can get the results that you're willing to pay for and how you pay. Yeah. And I think there's some truth to that, but sometimes it, it actually can work against you if that makes any sense. So, mm-hmm. you know, people need to be paid on what they can control. And sometimes they're 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 paid on interesting things that they don't really have any true control over. Yeah, hence getting salespeople off of gross pay, right? So yeah, absolutely. Couple more questions I do have. I want to uh, dig into you what you think the market's doing. I just did a tip video, kind of giving dealers warnings, and I think it's it's going pretty bad. I think I don't know. I put I, I'll probably put the tip at the end of the, one of these videos, but. Um, I see all these headlines about obviously all the volume coming into 2016 of lease returns. Um, I'm seeing a Wall Street Journal report that the inventory levels of 16 hasn't been as high, it looks like 12 years since 0203, and then 17 and 18 is going to be even more inventory coming in. I watch shopper trends on sites like autotradercars.com. January, February, March are always the peaks on the shopper count. Then April, May, June, they drop off a little bit of a July and August peak, but not like January, February, that drops off from here. I'm thinking, and based on all these headlines, delinquencies going on subprime loans that could shove cars or banks calling back. You've got, um, you know, new cars still trying to push out the volume and incentives are going to come hit here soon in June and July. I think by May, June, you, I, I'm thinking wholesale. I think wholesales are a little bit higher March and it was February, a little bit high because guys from the hangover of, of March and April sales are still out willing to pay stupid money for cars. Uh, but again, at headlines, first the quarter was lower, uh, wholesale values are lower than it has been in previous years. First time in 20 years that February wholesale values were lower than January wholesale values. So I'm warning my dealers, man, I want to be lean and clean by April, May going into June. I want to be buyer in May and June where I'm thinking these March buyers are stocking cars and dumping them. And I think inventory level starts pushing in. Wholesale values drop, new car incentives hit. I think this year, and then you got election year on top of all that, which seems to always throw things off. I think this year is going to be a really funky year, and if dealers don't have it clean and clean by at least August, because September, October, November, December starts going downhill, and I think that's where most of those lease returns are going to come in and hit the market too. That's my prediction. That's what I've been seeing. What do you feel about 2016 and what's going on? Well, I, everything you said I think is a, is a factor, but I do believe that if dealers just – do what they know how to do. If they do the things they know they ought to do every day, if they follow their basic core principles, if they're stocking, if their inventory levels are based on peaks and valleys during the course of the year, which a lot of people don't pay attention to, but if they mm-hmm. would pay attention to that, they're not going to have any problems. All these lease returns don't, in my in my opinion, don't impact a solid dealer in much of a way at all because a solid dealer is going to do those things yes. every day that they know that are important, that they should be doing, manage the inventory. So if the inventories are going, if the value of lease cars causes inventory and causes the values to go down somewhat, if I'm still turning my inventory 
if I'm committed to turn, if I'm committed to speed, if I'm committed to being effective and doing those things every minute of every day I should do, I'm not, it's not going to be a problem for me because I don't have a bunch of cars sitting out that are over 30. Yeah, but what about the, now, the, the normal dealer that their average age, would you tell me, would you agree? I bet 70 plus percent of the average dealers will have, their average age is going to be 45 days. 70, 80 percent of the dealers. Yeah. They're, they're, they're in trouble anyway. They're just going to be in more trouble. Okay, and that's what I'm saying. I say if they're not clean, if they don't get that 45-day average down to 30, I think they're going to be in a world of trouble, especially this year with all this stuff. I, 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 again, they—they're they, always if they were if they were to liquidate at any point in time, yeah, they yeah. wouldn't have half the profits they thought they had because they got so much inventory it's pushing. Well, probably if they got a 45-day average, you can bet they got a lot of stuff over 60. Mm-hmm. Oh, Would yeah. that be a yes? Oh yeah, yeah. 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 So I, I think that those, those guys are. You know, they're always going to be fighting it. They haven't made a commitment to turning them. Or they haven't made a commitment in 60 days. I'm going to tell you the number of times uh, that I speak to a 20 group. And I'll ask the 20 group, how many of you are on a 60-day term? And they'll, they'll raise their hands. And I'll say, well, how many of you got units over 60 days old? And about 90% of them still raise their hand. I mean, you're either pregnant or you ain't. You guys decide, yeah. you know, what you're going to be. You can't just say, I'm on. I heard someone say recently, this is a new term for me, that they're on a soft 60. I mean, what is a soft 60? <laughs> Going back to your, your question and your point, if they're following good fundamental business practices every day, I don't think that what's going on in the marketplace is going to affect them all that much. Will it have some impact? I guess a little. Mm-hmm. But not for a dealer who's paying attention and doing all those things every day. They know they should do. Most dealers know what to do. They really do. They're smart. They, most dealers, they get lots of information from 20 groups, NADA, people mm-hmm. like yourself. Uh, the impact of the, the auto uh, performance managers and that sort of thing. So they know what to do, but for whatever reason, they've chosen not to do it, and that's what gets them in trouble when the market takes these peaks and valleys that you're mentioning. All right. So as we wrap up a little bit here, I guess I'll have a couple questions. You can a- take as long as you want to answer. What would be that, that dealer that's that 40 average day guy that does a decent job, maybe 38, 40, he does have maybe – 20% of his inventory over 60 days old, not 40 or 30 or 40%, but maybe 20. And it feels like they do a decent job. What's the one thing that they could focus on that you think if you can change their world, that this is what they need to really kind of do to get that to that next I level? I think that what I would say to someone and just give you something really simple is I would keep a strong focus on any used cars in my inventory that I would consider high dollar vehicles. Okay. Because they're going to be competing with your new car business. Uh, they, they're going to be um, more difficult to turn. There's fewer people who can buy them. So as higher dollar vehicles come out of Ames, where I'd really be on alert for them. If I can get those higher dollar vehicles to turn faster, the cheaper stuff's going to turn. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a twelve, fifteen thousand dollar car, you got some of those. They're going to turn. Your problem cars are going to be twenty-eight, thirty-two thousand, thirty-five thousand, forty thousand. If that's the one piece of advice I could give someone is make sure that you're you're on top of those higher dollar vehicles and your life's going to be a lot simpler because those are the ones that are going to get in trouble in the end. Yeah. And those, the, uh, you know, obviously a 2% shift in a 40 grand car is a lot more expensive than a 2% shift on a 10, yeah. 15 grand car. Yeah. So. Um, all right. As we wrap up here, again, you got these books. Uh, how can people get a hold of you? Um, maybe to reach out for uh, 20 years. they'd like a free copy of that book, send me an email to Tommy, T-O-M-Y, Tommy Gibbs, G-I-B-B-S. Tommy at TommyGibbsTraining.com. Tommy at TommyGibbsTraining.com. 
and send me your address, your mailing address, and I'll be happy to send you a copy. And any dealers that maybe look, maybe want to reach out to you for help, uh, go to TommyGibbsTraining.com. Is that right? TommyGibbsTraining.com or just send me an email, and I'm happy to send you a proposal. And what's your typical program? You go in for a day or two, talk to the staff, and, and, and then spend two days or a day and a half uh, in the store? The program I do the most frequently is I go in and I spend an afternoon with the dealer principal and his key managers just to kind of get an understanding of their operation, who does what, what the challenges are. And then the next morning, starting very early, about 7.30ish, we do a half-a-day workshop that's going to give the dealer every tool they need to improve their used car first. But in that workshop, I ask the dealer to put every manager they have in that workshop, EDC, Internet, new car, F&I, control them. Parts manager, service manager, everybody is a manager. Put them in the workshop and they're going to change the world. Good deal. All right, well, I, it was a great interview. I, I appreciate your time. And like I said, uh, this was, I think, a lot of good insight for these dealers to take from there. Uh, appreciate it. And maybe we can hook up again for an interview down the road. Uh, thanks again, guys, for everybody watching the show. Join us every Monday, new episodes. And uh, check out podcasts at iTunes or, or uh, at SoundCloud also. You can uh, check them out there. And then any of our quick tips or anything, you can find it on YouTube at uh, Lot Pop uh, YouTube channel out there. I appreciate your time. Thanks. Hey, Jason Rice here with Lot Pop. I want to give you a quick tip on inventory management. You know, I was uh, in a meeting called today, and we're wrestling with the car, and they didn't want to discount the car. It's 28 days old. They didn't want to drop the price, even though we've had it priced there for three weeks, four weeks almost, at this particular price at whatever, 98% of the market. He didn't want to drop it anymore because he's already losing money on the car, will be losing money if he dropped it. And, you know, I want to bring up the fact that, you know, what we own a car is relevant to its asking price. It's the same thing we tell customers time and time again when it has to do with their trade. How many times you've gone to a customer, offered them seven grand for their trade, and they go, whoa, I can't do that. And you go, why? What's wrong with that? They say, well, shoot, I owe 10 grand. I can't, I need 10 grand for my trade. And you say, well, hold on, folks, you know, what you own, your car is irrelevant to what it's worth. If you owed zero, is your car worth zero? You know, it is what it is to the market. We can present, you know, a wholesale or Kelly Blue Book and, and present that the car is worth seven grand. And sometimes we lose the deal, but we tell the customers that what we owe on that trade or what they owe on it is relevant to the market or their, the trade about or what they owe on their car is relevant to what the cars trade for. So same thing can be said on us. You know, I'm sorry if we, if we're pricing a car and I'm not talking about giving it away. Let's just say we take a car and we price it at 18 grand. I ask dealerships all that all, every time I've said, okay, if we've got a car and the market's 18 grand and you price it at 18 grand, you're pricing it at hundred percent of market. Did you give the car away? And they say, no, I'll ask them, what's the definition of giving a car away? Well, they'll say, if I lose money on a car, so again, go back, 18 grand, price it at 100% of market, we sell it for 18 grand, did we give it away? No, we sold it for market average. Then I'll ask them, well, what if you owed 19 on it? Uh, well, then we lose 1,000, okay? So what the market value is on the car is what the car's worth, not so much what we owe on it, regardless of how much we put in service and what we had to do to get that car done and what we had to do to step up to buy that new car deal. 
what we owe on the car is relevant. So price the car to market, give it two or three weeks. If it doesn't sell, adjust the price and move it down and get more aggressive. Give it another two or three weeks. If you're not getting traction on the lot and you're not getting traction online at SRPs and BDPs, drop the price again. Keep moving that car until you finally sell it retail because it's not going to get any better. So again, just a quick tip, what you own the car is irrelevant, price the car to market and keep adjusting to get that inventory turning. That's what's going to make you more profitable. Your first loss is your cheapest loss. Thanks.